0: Well, I'd like to read our two verses again, John chapter 15, verses 5 and 6. Jesus speaking uh, the night of the Last Supper. We don't know whether they've, they're already out or they are still in the upper room or they, they're out walking towards the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, we do know that it's possible that uh, they were walking by a vineyard. We don't know it. It's possible they were walking by a vineyard also. Uh, scholars tell us that there was a, a large vine over the temple, not an actual vine, but you know, a ceramic vine, if you will, a cement vine, uh, signaling uh, a sign of the nation of Israel. So we don't know whether all of these things come into play as he's using this example. And Jesus says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. Well, it's natural for all of us to want our life to count for something. And it's interesting how people talk about this. One side says, just work hard. If people just work hard, their life will count for something. Well, maybe, maybe not. You'll get ahead if you work hard. Maybe, maybe not. Other people say, well, we just need to train people. Again, maybe, maybe not. Jesus told the apostles the night before the cross, you need to abide. You need to stay attached to me. And if you do, you will bear spiritual fruit. And then he goes on way down in verse 8, which we'll get to. And he says, my father will be glorified. But without this abiding, without being attached and remaining in Jesus, we talked a lot about this last week, uh, being faithful or being fruitful will be impossible because, as Jesus said at the end of verse 5 here, without me, you can do nothing. So let's just think about this for a second. Without a living tree, here Jesus says a vine, a branch cannot produce fruit. And so wh- why does a tree produce fruit? Why does a branch produce fruit? For itself? That would be silly. No, it does it for others. So the fruit blesses others, and the the gardener, the farmer, or as Jesus referred to his heavenly father in verse one last week, uh, two weeks ago, excuse me, the, the vine dresser um, That's his heavenly father. And in verse 1 and verse 5, Jesus said, I am the vine. Now, centuries earlier, Hosea, the prophet, said this, or the Lord said this through the prophet Hosea, Hosea 14, 8. Your fruit is found in me. Another version says your fruit comes from me. Now, what does that tell us? That means that your role as a Christian, if you're not a Christian, thanks for joining us today. Love to hear from you this week. But our role as Christians, as followers of Jesus, is not to produce the fruit. God says, your fruit comes from me. Our role is not to produce the fruit. So let's just stop one second and go, ah, the pressure is off of us. Our role is to abide, to be attached to Jesus, and Jesus will produce the fruit in our lives, and he will make you, he will make me a blessing to others, and his Father will be glorified. And so the title of our message today is Living a Fruitful Life. Now, when we come to verse 5, it really summarizes what we learned in verses 1 through 4. John 15, 5, Jesus says, I am the vine. He's already told us that. You are the branches. Now, this is something he's sort of been getting at. He who abides in me and I in him. So there's, a, there's if you will, there's a mutual abiding. Bears much fruit. Stop there. Bears much fruit. So Jesus stresses here the vitality of the vine. It's the vine that produces the fruit. But notice that an abiding branch that stays connected to Jesus as the vine, the branch, which represents us, bears much fruit. Now, I find that very encouraging, that you and I can bear much fruit. Now, Last time we talked about Jesus uh, you know, telling us about his father being the gardener and pruning us. Now he focuses on our relationship with Jesus himself. In the weeks to come, we'll see that the totality of the Christian life comes out of a life lived of, out of the word of God and prayer, empowered by the Holy Spirit, so we are then able to live the life that God has for us. So it's interesting how it works. The Word of God, when you read it, if you will, it informs us that we're usually somewhat aware of, but it also empowers us, which a lot of times we're not aware of till we get into the situation. I can't tell you how many of you told me over the years, you said, you know, I didn't think I knew much about Jesus, and i have been here at this church for a number of years, Pastor Jim. And somebody asked me a question, and it just started pouring out of me. That's the way it works. We, we get what we need to know from the Word of God. We think we can't remember any of it, and then so often when we need it, the Holy Spirit brings those things to remembrance. Now, out of that relationship comes, out of that connectivity To Jesus, the vine, comes fruit. Now, big debate, what is fruit? We could probably go on and on about that. For our purposes today, let's try to define uh, step one, if you will, in in a living and fruitful life, or how to live a fruitful life. And I'll quote Bible uh, commentator and scholar D.A. Donald Carson. He says, This fruit is nothing less than the outcome of persevering dependence on the vine driven by faith embracing all of the believer's life and the product of his witness well what's a witness that's telling the truth of what you've noticed and what you've seen so look at, just break down his definition this fruit is the outcome of persevering dependence on the vine so there's an active persevering dependence driven by faith, embracing all of the believer's life. So fruit is found basically in every area uh, in in which we live in. You could say that that fruit is everything that Christ produces in us and through us. So Jesus in this here in verse 5, "...I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit." He's very clear that the only evidence that a branch is alive, obviously he's the vine, he's alive, we're an offshoot, the only evidence that a branch is alive and attached to the vine is that it is bearing fruit. Now, before you get too nervous, I'm not so sure there's some sort of a quarterly quota that God has, but if you abide in the vine, Jesus says, you will bear fruit. Are there times when we produce more fruit than others? I believe the answer to that question is yes. I mean, we all know there's times when we sense the presence of God in, in, a, in a tremendous way, and there's other times when, when we don't, and there's other times when we you know, feel that God is really moving in our lives, and other times it doesn't feel that way. But remember this. This is what's very important. I always try to remind myself of this, is that we don't see what God sees. The Scripture says that his word will not come back void. We don't see what God sees, and we don't see as God sees. So what we're looking at as maybe, oh, I kind of messed up, he's like, no, that's fruit. That's fruit. It's extremely important to remember that fruit comes from, much fruit comes in time, As we stay close to Jesus and remain in Jesus. So, fruit bearing is simply the byproduct of the abiding life. Again, there's the vine, there's the branch, and because the the branch is attached to the vine, there is fruit that grows. It's the fruit of this mutual indwelling. Jesus says, If you abide in me, you'll know that I'm abiding in you. Now, here's the thing. Soul-searching question. What are you abiding in? What what are you trusting in? What are you really close to all of the time? And this is a very important thing to, to ask ourselves because of this main one fact. If you are primarily abided in anything other than Jesus, that will take you from Jesus. So maybe do an inventory of, of just how your day goes sometimes. And I'm not saying you don't do your job, but I am saying maybe you say before each time you go to do a job, Lord, please give me a good attitude and, and, and help my attention span and, and help me with this. Now, last week we saw that Israel had failed. And, and Israel was the vine, but Jesus said, I'm the true vine. Well, Why did they fail? Well, they were religious, not relational, With God, they they put their trust in the temple, if you will, or we might say, in oh, I'm Christian because I go to church, and they also put their trust in the fact that they were born into God's family. But the old expression is, God has no grandchildren. That you need to each each of us need to come to God uh, on our own and ask for His forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And here Jesus gives us the path to the fruitful life. And it's simply this. Simply depend upon my sufficiency, Jesus is telling us. Simply depend upon the fact that if you are connected to me, I will bring about the fruit of the Christian life in your life. Now, this is a great, great visual. If you spend much time in your yard, you, you, you can actually really picture this. Because a, a branch that is not connected to a vine is what? A stick. <laughs> That's all it is. It's just a stick. Just a. Just, there's no life flowing into it from the vine. Therefore, there is no life flowing out of it. Now, up here, maybe we think of it more of a tree in the branches. So... If, if, a, if a branch is not connected to the tree, it's what? It's just a stick. There's nothing flowing into it. There's nothing flowing out of it. You don't see a dead stick on the side of the yard or something like that flourishing with leaves and with berries and stuff like that, unless it just fell off the, the night before, the day before, or something like that. All the branch does is this. It bears, it carries or supports the fruit that the vine or the tree produces. Now, again, that should take the pressure off, and it also should end our striving. Like, I gotta be a fruit producer. I gotta be a fruit producer. You don't have to. You just, if you will, have to, and I have to carry the fruit. Now, it's very important not to bring our American values into this because God decides what's good fruit, we don't decide what's good fruit, and, and good fruit is essentially faithfulness to the Word of God, and that's going to look different in a lot of different people's lives. I mean, some of you right now in your life, you're taking care of somebody who's sick, and that's what God has for you to do. That's fruit-bearing. It might not feel like it because it's not very American, but that's very, very important thing to do. Now, another thing about when it comes to fruit bearing, people, a lot of people get very, very nervous when it comes to serving God. I, I, I feel bad for you. I think it should be like, I can't believe I get to do this. This is so cool. But a lot of people get very, very nervous about it. And on the one hand, trust me, I understand what I would call the weight of responsibility. There is a certain responsibility with it. That's why I try to study the text very, very hard, because I, I want to do the best I, I can of my ability to represent what God says. Um, but there's also sometimes uh, people are just really uptight, and they're so afraid of making a mistake that they become Paralyzed. A lot of times when that happens I will say to people especially to preachers when they when they you know they're just super hyper nervous beforehand and they're super hyper critical of themselves afterwards I'll just say this are you here to serve or are you here to impress You see if you're here to serve then that's what you do you serve It doesn't mean you're a slacker but you serve but if you're trying to impress I mean, to be honest with you, most people probably won't be that impressed. You probably won't be that impressed. And, you know, sometimes people say, well, if I do something wrong, I'm going to get in trouble. I'm going to get yelled at. Probably not. Probably not. And if you do get in trouble and if if you did your best and you do get in trouble and you do get yelled at, let me give you two words that have carried me so well for so many years in business and so many years in the ministry. Oh, well. (laughs) Oh, well. See, you could say that our part is to abide and to do our best, to work hard, and to leave the results up to God. But notice I said we work hard. We are not completely passive. I find even in a lot of Christian books, there's there's this sense of how God's going to do the work through you, and people come away with the idea that means that we're passive in the process. So if if God is going to do work through you today, and you just sit and watch TV all day, then you've been passive about it. Now, some people only work, 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 but they don't abide. Some people only abide, but they don't do any work. See, what we want to do is we want to have the right combination of this. Let's call it grace-motivated abiding because of my relationship with Jesus by putting my trust in him for what he's done for me in his perfect life and cross and resurrection. And because of that, I'm, I'm motivated by that grace, by what, how he's forgiven me of my sins, and that causes me to want to abide in him. But at the same time, there's a great that produces a grace-motivated effort to not be passive, but to roll up my sleeves and get to work. If you don't have both, most people do experience somewhat of an emptiness of the Christian life or others around you experience the emptiness of your Christian life. See, the abiding life not only increases your love for God, but the abiding life also increases your love for people, an unselfish love that loves to serve others. Too often, people get absorbed in their relationship with Jesus. It's all about me, and my relationship with Jesus. And you notice a lot of those people, that's when they talk about that, a lot of them tend to be very selfish. They don't really want to serve others. They don't really want to help others. They're usually not generous, and they're very much inward-looking. Everything is all about them. Somebody looks at them the wrong way, and they're so insulted. Instead of thinking, well, maybe they're having a bad day. Maybe they have a headache. Maybe they got a lot on their mind and, you know, they just didn't notice anybody they were walking on. You know, Sometimes people say to me, like, well, can you talk for a few minutes in the hallway? And I'm like, I can't. I have to be up on the stage in 30 seconds. Like, Oh, oh. no, that's, that's not what it is. I have to be up on the stage in, in, in 30 seconds. But, but watch Jesus. That is not the kind of life that he lived. Jesus lived a fruitful life because Jesus loved, Jesus served, and Jesus saved people. He spent time with God. He was alone with God a lot. They couldn't find him a lot of times. Where is he? He must be off praying again. He's abiding with his Father, but that then had an outward expression in his love for people. So much so that Jesus even gave up his own life for it, dying on the cross for people who really didn't care that much about him, so others could find salvation, the forgiveness of sins and eternal life, and they could find rest. So let me ask you a question. Do you want to live the fruitful life? Well, if you really want to, Jesus, who's such a great teacher, he, I mean, he just lays it right out. He doesn't, he doesn't, he's not like, what's he trying to say? Look at what he says at the end of verse 15. For without me, you can do nothing. Hmm, what's he mean? <laughs> For, a lot of times we say that word means because, because without me, or some verses say apart from me, you can do nothing. Another verse says you can do nothing without me. I call this the pastor's prayer, or at least Pastor Jim's prayer, realizing that unless God blesses his word combined with the work he's given me to do, it will be of little effect. Some of you know that most mornings I read through my outline. As much as anything, I'm looking down at the clock because I could, I, I don't talk for too long, but I read through my outline, and, and, and it usually takes me about three minutes. And, and, the, and the devil says to me, well, another three to five-minute sermon there, Pastor Jim. And I go, well, at least the people will be happy. They got out of church early. So I'm depending on God to bring his message to his people because I know without him, I can do nothing of eternal spiritual significance. Jesus is clear for you and I, no matter how enthusiastic we are, and I'm not saying it's not good to be enthusiastic and joyful, but no matter how enthusiastic we are or hyper-spiritual we are, faithfulness from heaven's point of view depends upon embracing Jesus abiding in him, knowing that without him I can do nothing. Now, let's please get this straight. That does not mean that there is not a lot of good that gets done in our world. If we're going around and we're telling people that no good is done in our world, we're going to sound like a bunch, you know, a complete bunch of fools. Let me give you a, a, a really tremendous example. There has been an unprecedented, I hate to use that word, but an unprecedented amount of people worldwide that have come out of poverty in this century. It's really been amazing. We, we see the people that are struggling on the news, and, I, and that's a sad thing. But a lot of people in a lot of places have come out of poverty. That's a good thing. However, that's not what Jesus is talking about here. Romans 14, 23, the Apostle Paul says this, if something is not from faith, it's sin. What what, what does that mean? You see, if it's not done in faith, our good works are of no eternal value in the kingdom of God. We said before that, that when you do good works and you're not in Christ, it counts for nothing in heaven. But when you are in Christ, you will be rewarded for that. We'll talk about more about that in a second. So it's really important when we talk about abiding in Christ. Some of us, we tend to really uh, depend on Jesus in the big decisions of life. Others of us, only in the little decisions. We think, I got this, I got that, but but... What happens is the tendency is to leave Jesus out of things. Just as a life connected to Jesus has life flowing out of it, a life that is not connected to Jesus does not have the life of Jesus flowing out of them and you're just a stick. And that can happen to a Christian. We can we can be abiding, and then we cannot be abiding. Jesus is teaching us here that a life lived in isolation from the vine makes spiritual fruit, makes spiritual achievement absolutely impossible. It's sort of the opposite of that that very popular verse, Philippians 4.13, that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Not that you can do anything. You know, I've told you before. You know, I want to be in the National Football League. Not going to happen unless I want to buy a ticket and go to a game. But even now, I can't do that. But, But I can do all things. I can do what God has given me to do through Christ who strengthens me. But without him, I can't do it. What's important to note is this. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. But notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, without you, I can't do anything. Jesus said to us, hey, guys, without me, you can do nothing. I wonder if one of the apostles raised their hand and said, does that mean that without us, you can't do anything, Jesus? And Jesus said, no, I didn't say that. God doesn't need us. And I don't mean to be insulting, but let's be honest. God doesn't need us, and he could do a lot better without us, couldn't he? But in his love, he involves us in his work. And not only that, as we just said before, he eternally rewards us. I've said this so many times, and I never get tired of hearing it myself. This is the most wonderful offer of the Christian life you could ever imagine. That God says, if you put your trust in my son, Jesus Christ, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for your sins, rose from the dead, I will forgive all of your sins and I will reward you for all of the good things you do in my name. Now, If you're a person of reasonable intelligence, let me just ask you this. Where are you going to get a better deal than that? That's like the deal of the the century. It's a wonderful thing. But also by practically involving us, Jesus helps us to see our need to abide. Because if we don't abide, (laughs) then what happens? The Lord needs to start pruning us of our pride and our self-centeredness. Now, I want to just talk for a second, just a little bit of a second up on top of the soapbox, so bear that, bear me with that. This is something that concerns me about the social justice church. There's a lot of churches that circle, they're, they're, they center themselves on doing good deeds for the community. That's the main thing that they're about. You, you meet them and you say, well, what's going on at your church? And, oh, we're doing this and we're doing that. It's, you almost never It's never really about Christ and what he is doing. You see, why am I concerned? Because you don't need Jesus. You don't need the Holy Spirit to do nice things for people. And that's one, of the, that's one of the big problems. I mean, good works is really a form of religion, whether it's done in the church context or any other context. It, it, it's thinking that, oh, well, I do good things. You know, good people go to heaven. That, that's boasting in yourselves. Ephesians 2 says that's not why you go to heaven. You see, this is what happens a lot of times in a lot of places. It's easy to to parade what we're doing and then tag Jesus Onto it. But honestly, loved ones, that's a severed branch. That's a good works stick. That is eating the fruit of good works and bearing testimony of yourself. When Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. So if it's just doing nice things for the sake of being nice, that's okay, But I don't know that we call that Christian. A lot of people, they they give stuff to people, but they're like, oh, we're handing out granola bars and stuff like that. But, But they're not telling people about Jesus. The truth of the matter is simply this. We need the work of the Holy Spirit to move mountains in people's lives. We need the work of the Holy Spirit. We need to abide in Jesus to see people move from their dependence on themselves to Jesus. To see them move from where they are now to beginning eternal life and to end up in heaven. Now, loved ones, please, I know it is so easy to give up when you don't see results, But for the person who is abiding in Jesus, the abiding follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit gives strength for Jesus' work. And that's what's key. It's his work. It's his work. Did he feed people? He did, but not without the gospel. Did he heal people? He did. But he told people to follow him. You see, this is very important, that it is his work. And it's actually very freeing and empowering when we realize this and we notice that Christ himself is the one that is helping us to move forward. The Apostle Paul wrote these words, 2 Corinthians 4, 7, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Some of you have heard to say jars of clay. So what do you think? We're fragile. That the excellence of the power or the all-surpassing power may be of or from God and not us. So what is the Apostle Paul saying? He's saying, listen, my focus is not on my abilities. My focus is on God's power. And what did that do? When your, when your focus is on God's power, power, it's not on what? It's not on your weaknesses. It's not on your fear. And that helped him. That will help all of us to move forward in what I would call humble boldness. Now, you say, humble boldness. Those are are two words that people don't normally put together. Yes, But why is it humble? Because it's Jesus' power, not mine. Why does it make me bold? Because it's the call of Christ to go forth in his power, not mine. Verse 6. Verse 6 is a very, very difficult verse. Very, very difficult. If anyone does not abide in me, and (laughs) it's caused so many different arguments among Bible geek, so we'll see what we can do with it. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out, some versions say thrown away, as a branch and is withered, and they, who are they? Probably we learned in Matthew's gospel it's the angels, but it's okay. They gather them and throw them into the fire, symbol of judgment, and they are burned, There is tons of debate over what Jesus is saying here. Is he talking about followers of Jesus? Is he talking about fake Christians? Is he talking about unbelieving people? Is he talking about good works without abiding? Now, the apostles, it's always good to put yourself in the place of the original hearers. The original hearers probably understood this imagery to be from the book of Ezekiel, chapter 15, When the when the nation was exiled into Babylon. Because and the Babylonians came and they destroyed the temple. And they exported them or exiled them. Now, in Babylon, they were no longer attached to the land. A big part of being a Jew was your attachment to the land. They were were no longer attached to the temple. The temple was destroyed. They were in another place. So in that moment, being in a foreign land, being captive, if you will, they had to, like we have to now, ultimately be dependent and attached to God. Nothing else. Maybe I'm stretching it a little too far, but it reminds me of lockdowns. When lockdowns, we can't necessarily live our lives the same way. And is it possible that God is putting us in a position where we need to be more attached to Him? So this is a tough verse. Remember, when we come to tough verses rather than try and get all heady about the stuff, let's focus on what is clear and obvious, and then maybe the other stuff becomes obvious, or maybe it doesn't. Let's start with what he says here. He says that this, this branch, okay, if you don't abide, you will be cast out, withered, and thrown into the fire. Again, remember, fire, symbolic of judgment. All right, so let's just stop right here. No matter what this verse means, let me me ask you this question. (laughs) No matter what it means, this is the outcome. Is this what you want? (laughs) So when I read the outcome of not abiding, regardless of who he's talking about, It just makes me want to abide. I mean, look at the words. Cast out, withered, thrown into the fire. It certainly makes me want to be aware of times in my life when I'm living distant from God. I don't want to be distant from God because I don't want to be those things. Also makes me aware of times when I am disobedient to God. I don't want to be disobedient to God because I don't want to be those things. So what's the debate? Some say this verse is about people who lose their salvation. Others say it's about those who never had it, that it's about people who never had it. A third view says that it's really about some of the works that Christians do that are not that come not out of that don't come out of abiding. Now, I'm going to be totally contrarian here. And say this. I think that perhaps it's possible that this verse is not trying to answer that question. <laughs> I think that Jesus is just trying to spur us on to the two words that keep popping up all through chapter 15 abiding and fruitful. Let me give you an example. Many of you are in management on your jobs. And you know uh, there, that you may have people on your team or people that are working for you or uh, under you and you know, or even over you, could be your boss, that, that some employees are not bearing the fruit that the company wants and you've tried, and you've tried, and you've tried, and the company makes the decision that you need to move on without them. Why? Well, there's many reasons for it. A lot of people are not about what they can do for the company. They're about, what's the company doing for me? Whenever you're doing a job interview, and the first sentence out of somebody's job is, Uh, To somebody's mouth is what's the salary and the benefits? (laughs) It's like that's probably you're probably not going to get the job. So if that's your first question, the boss, if you're on interview and they say, "Do you have any questions for me?" Don't make, don't let that be your first question. Because a lot of people, when it comes to their vocation, their job, it's about themselves. Another problem that happens with people is a lot of times people uh, wither away, if you will the fire of excitement that they began with dies out. Uh, For years, one of our large clients at at my company was, uh, people would come in, and they would come in on fire. And the morale there was not very good, and we would say, how long till they lose the fire? And usually it would take anywhere from three to six months. And they become, they join the, the ranks of the complainers. Anybody can complain. Complainers are a dime a dozen. And then the same people are like, I don't know why I didn't get promoted. I don't know why the boss doesn't have a lot of time for me. I don't know why I don't get to go to that training thing. Because you're a complainer. And you're not in sync with the rest of the company. But, but mostly, I think you could say there's a variety of reasons why a boss or you, your boss, may feel this way. But it really comes down to this somehow that person did not remain in vital contact with the mission. And I think that's part of what Jesus is talking about here. The same is true for the kingdom of God. Now, if you were to attach a Bible character to this, you might say, Peter. Sometimes Peter had identity amnesia. Sometimes Peter forgot who he was... And he forgot the mission, and so his work or what he was doing was not about the king's mission. And so those types of works would be thrown into the fire. Why would they be thrown into the fire? Because they can't be used. They're they're not good. Others would say it's talking about Judas, Reminding us that people who refuse Jesus as the source of eternal life, they don't get it. They don't get eternal life. And this is actually the most popular view. Again, I'm not so sure that that that's really the case that Jesus is making here. Now, is it possible to be saved and fruitless? Maybe. Maybe. But I don't think so. And, and I think the deeper question for us to ask is this. Why would you want to be fruitless? After what Jesus has done for you and the love that you've experienced from him. We have an expression when, when God you know, is not using somebody in the ministry anymore, or serving people anymore, that, he, that God takes them and puts them on the shelf. Why in the world would you want to be put on the shelf not used of God, simply because you wouldn't abide or you wouldn't obey Christ. Now, I believe with all of my heart that most of you want to be fruitful. But I also believe, and I'm not saying this is your fault, but I'm saying that you need to be aware of it, that the American church... And many American pastors have given you the wrong idea about what it means to be fruitful. You see, many pastors suffer from what we would call success syndrome. And they view everything in terms of, you know, how many people come or, or what their, what what you know, how many views they got, or something like that. Also, a lot of pastors like to be treated like celebrities. And so they give you the impression that that success and celebrity is, is the goal. I don't think that idea could be further from the point that Jesus is making here. Think about it for a second. Have you ever seen a branch with an absolute ton of fruit on it? It's got a lot of fruit on it. Picture it on a tree right now. Does that branch stand high and mighty and proud? Or is that branch bent over from the weight of the fruit? Is it bent down low I contend to you that is the life of Jesus Christ. That the that, that vine himself came down the stairway of heaven, came to this world, stooped down to us. Why? So people could grab the fruit of salvation. So people could grab a hold of him. So they could touch him. So they could know him. So they could abide in him. You see, abiding, being able to have, being being lowly and being humble and wanting to serve others and, and being attached to Jesus, that's what changes a follower of Jesus. Seeing how Jesus stooped down low to us will help you stoop down low to others. And until you see that, that will be very, very hard for you. And when when you do begin that life, people will see a branch and they will hear a branch that is starting to look and sound like the vine. They'll also see a branch that is starting To work like Christ. And that's in your workplace. John 17, 4, Jesus praying the night before the crucifixion says to his father, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Jesus is not teaching about an easy Christian life. He's not teaching about, we'll talk about this next week, that God's going to give you everything you want Jesus is teaching us about an abiding, fruitful life. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 through 38 says this. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues. If you come to this church, let me tell you something, or you might be watching online, you know a lot more than a lot of people. You could walk into work tomorrow, and on break time or lunchtime, you could tell the people, you know what we learned in our church yesterday? Just by taking some notes. And you'd be amazed how many people will be listening to, willing to listen to you. Not everybody, but some will. And then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. So it's the preaching and healing ministry of Jesus. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Let me ask you a question. When you see on television or on the Internet all the stuff that's going on in our country, do you look with disdain upon the people or do you see a group of people, a nation that is weary and scattered as a sheep having no shepherd? Verse 37, then he said to his disciples, remember we're all disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So it's not not that the people don't want to believe. It's that there's nobody telling them. Therefore, pray. What should we pray for? That the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. You you could say that pray that the Lord send out abiders. Now, here's the danger in that prayer. I'm going to tell you on the front end before you go pray that prayer tonight, and I hope you do, that the Lord would send out laborers because a lot of times that one's going to come back to you. What about you? What about you? Now, if you are laboring in the field, God's field, then, yes, pray for more. But understand that he's going to ask all of us to take the next step. Your, my, abiding service to Jesus and with Jesus will deepen our Christian life as we sense the Lord Jesus working through us for the glory of God. A couple basic questions. Will you fail? Yes. Is it the end of the world? No. You see, God knew you would fail. God knew I would fail. God knew the apostles would fail. Yet, the kingdom of God continues to move forward. There's no mistake that you're going to make that's going to stop the kingdom of God. In fact, when it comes to failure, I would say this to you. Don't waste your failure. Let it drive you to prayer. Let it drive you to abiding in Christ. Let it drive you to abiding in, and depending upon Jesus' power and not your own. That last point is huge. Don't confuse serving in your own power with abiding service in the power of God. Such service provides power and a desire for living a fruitful life. And Jesus tells us such a life will bear much fruit. So, my friends, let us all come to the fruit tree of salvation today. Let us all come to the tree, the cross of Christ, bringing nothing but a willing heart to King Jesus. A willing heart is a heart that wants to take the next step, Perhaps that heart is to start serving in the kingdom of God and for the kingdom of God. Perhaps that next step is to lay aside your rights and your ego, trading it in for abiding and obeying and serving. For others, it may involve getting rid of what is hindering you, perhaps a a certain sin or a, a certain attitude. For others, if you've never put your trust in Jesus Christ, you've never turned to God and said, God, I've lived with my back to you. I've lived not really paying attention to you. Maybe you need to do that today to turn to God and look up and see Jesus on the cross dying for you and put your trust in him. Because here's the truth of the matter, friend. You cannot cannot abide in Christ until you are in Christ and you come into Christ. You come into the kingdom of God by putting your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the reality of what the scripture teaches. You are either in Christ or you're out of Christ. You're either in the kingdom of God or you're out of the kingdom of God. Some of you say, I don't know if I can do that. I, man, there's a lot of bad stuff that I've done. John 6, 37, Jesus said this, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And notice this, And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. Jesus says, If you come to me, you can stay with me. You can abide with me. You can know me. Now you say, well, okay. He says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. How do I know if the Father gave me to Jesus? This is how you know you'll come to Jesus. That's how you will know. You will come to the cross. When you come to the cross and you look up, and no matter what verse Six, the particulars mean you will see something amazing. There is the perfect son of God who came from heaven. God became a man. He was perfect. And humanity nailed him to a cross because he loved people enough to tell them the truth. Because the, the people in power, the swamp of, of the Roman Empire, if you will, the swamp of Jerusalem, they were envious of him. Even, even the sinful governor, Pontius Pilate, saw that. But on the cross, we'll see. You listen to him. And Jesus was separated from God. Right now, friend, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you are separated from God. But Jesus was separated from God, so you would never have to be. In that moment, the one who always abided in his father, abiding seemed absolutely impossible to Jesus. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was unable to abide so you and I could abide. It said that Jesus was cast out. We know that he was was cast out by humanity. He was was cast outside of the city. And in that moment, he would say, it seemed like I I was cast out of my eternal home in heaven. He was cast out so those who put their trust in him would never be cast out. And on the cross, Jesus' life began to wither away. Why? So your life could be fruitful. So your life would never wither away. He did all of this in your place for you. And then Jesus was thrown into the fire of death. under the judgment of God for your sins so you would never be thrown into the fire of death. So you could, as the scriptures say, absent from the body, present with the Lord. As one of the thieves on the cross, was two of them were yelling at Jesus and finally one of them came to faith in Jesus and said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He said, hey, today you will be with me in paradise. Today Jesus invites you to a new abiding and fruitful life, and that begins with coming to the cross for the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And that eternal life begins for you today. And that eternal life begins for all of us who have not abided like we wished we had. That begins today. We can't change yesterday, but we can change today and we can change tomorrow. Well, let's pray.